Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. So we're going to finish this morning this short series on parenting by the book. We were looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 last Sunday. Let me just read that again. We're still using this as a jump-off point for this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we talked in general terms about what it means to bring up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And toward the end of that message, I brought that down to one key concept, one way that we could refer to or describe bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. One way to describe that is to help our children understand and embrace and live out a biblical worldview. That's really a comprehensive idea, worldview. Worldview is really the way that you, an individual, looks at life, approaches life. So I want to continue with that idea this morning as we finish up this series. Encouraging you as parents, you as grandparents or extended family or anyone that influences others to take this to heart that what we should be striving to do is to help people live by this truth, help our kids live by this truth to adopt a view of things that is in alignment with this truth. If I were to put that into one overall statement, it would be this, that what we're to do is to live for the glory of God. What we are to do as parents is to try to teach our kids to put into our kids the conviction that this life is all about God and it is to be lived for His glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says that. In a very concise way, it says, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We could... Maybe you've heard that verse, quick to just kind of fly through it. Would you just stop a minute and listen very carefully to what the words say? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do. Do you know that you can eat for the glory of God? You can drink for the glory of God. Anything that you do, you can do it for the glory of God. That means that nothing in life is insignificant. It's lived for the glory of God. It's really a comprehensive statement about 
the purpose and the motivation and the direction and the focus of life right there. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. There's another implied truth in that verse, I believe, and it's this. That verse is telling us that God wants to have a really close relationship with us. So close that whatever we're doing, we're doing it with Him for His glory. You see, living with a biblical worldview, helping our children to live with a biblical worldview is helping them to get up every morning and understand and be cognizant of and proactive toward the idea that this day right here today is God's day. And as such, it's to be lived for God and His will, His glory. That whatever I do today, it's a day for the glory of God. Now let me just expound upon a little bit of what that means and entails. Have a little fun with that this morning. What will not happen when you live for the glory of God? What will not happen? Here's an overarching statement, and everything that I'm going to say that follows falls under this. Troubles will not end when you live for the glory of God. The car's going to break down, your children are going to disobey, and the stocks, your stocks are going to fall if you live for the glory of God. Your boss is going to be mean, and your workers are going to be lazy even when you live for the glory of God. Your waistline's going to grow and your bank account's going to shrink. Your head's going to go bald and your ears are going to get hairy when you live for the glory of God. Trailer lights are never going to work and it's going to rain on your camping trips when you live for the glory of God. Dog's going to get run over the toilet's, toilet's still going to plug and your teeth are going to get yellow when you live for the glory of God. The flu shot is still not going to work. The IRS is still going to want to get paid. And to top it all off, even when you live for the glory of God, one day Hillary might still be president. <laughs> I said we're going to have some fun with that, right? Everybody said, can you really say that? <laughs> what will happen when you live for the glory of God? Here's a, just a short list. Your every need is going to be met and you're going to ride out every storm. God will honor you and your actions when you live for the glory of God, will vindicate you. Your toddlers, though they'll test, they will respect your rules. Your teenagers may question your decisions, but your adult children will most likely follow your example when you live for the glory of God. The devil will hate you and his demons will fear you. 
God will smile over you. Grace will surround you. And truth will uphold you when you live for the glory of God. Goodness and mercy will follow you. God's Spirit will fill you. And your reputation will precede you. They may not name a library after you, but someone may name their kids after you. The world will not applaud you, but God will empower you. You may spend a lifetime serving down here, but you're going to spend an eternity reigning up there. You may not leave a packed trust, but you will leave a powerful legacy. You will not get possibly an invitation to the White House, but you'll get a personal escort to the big house in the end. You'll make a difference in your world and they'll have something significant to put on your tombstone when you live for the glory of God. God will reward you forever and you won't have to pay taxes on it. And to top it all off, if Hillary does become your president, God will still be your king forever. You see, it's all about the glory of God. Those children that are yours are really not yours. They were created by a creator for a very specific purpose, to have a personal relationship with Him, that's where they're going to find the essence of what is truly life. And it's in Him and living life for His glory where they're going to find out what life is really about and have life abundant and full. That's the only place that kind of life can be found. So live for the glory of God. Question. What does it look like to live for the glory of God? I mean, can we put a picture or a model to that? I know that we can. Here's the supporting truth. To live for the glory of God is to live like God's Son. Number two, live like God's Son. Teach your children to live like God's Son. You see, to understand the principle of living for the glory of God, put it into a real life, into a practice, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. His life is the epitome, is the perfection of what a life is meant to be lived like. In fact, the undeniable, consistently repeated truth of Scripture is that if you're a son or a daughter of God, here's God's plan for you. He wants you like His Son. Let me just read that for you in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. What's God's predetermined plan for you? It's for you to be like Jesus. 
That's what God wants. Did you know, just trying to put some practical application on that, living like Jesus, did you know that Jesus had to grow and mature? You ever thought through that? Jesus had himself to grow and mature. You see, Jesus entered into this human reality. He didn't begin in the womb of Mary. He had an eternal existence as the second member of the triune God forever past. But he entered into this human reality in every way like we live in it. And that means that Jesus Christ had to grow and mature. And the way that he grew and matured, that's the way you do. And that's the way your children will spiritually. Let me just give you four different ways that Jesus grew and matured. Number one, through the study of the Scriptures. Jesus, 12 years old, we get a little picture of his life. Kind of a bummer story to start with. Mary loses the Son of God. And for three days, she doesn't know where he's at. She realizes she left him in Jerusalem. So the family travels back there and they find him at the temple. And he is sitting at 12 among the teachers of the law and he's asking them probing questions and they are amazed at the understanding and the depth of insight of this 12 year old and I'm saying to you he had learned that through the scriptures just like you and I have to learn it he entered into our reality just like we live in this reality and he grew and matured through the truth. At the end of that account, it said, Jesus went with His parents and He grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus grew through the Scriptures. Number two, Jesus grew through submission. You see, so will you and your children grow through submission. Submission to our circumstances is one key way that God the Father shapes and molds lives. We can either buck our circumstances and fight against them or recognize the providence, the superintending hand of God taking all things and working them out for our good. And what's the good? To conform you to the image of His Son. That's Romans 8, 28 and 29 right there. That all the circumstances of life that come into the experience of a son or a daughter of God, God the Father is using them to conform you to the image of His Son. None of them are without purpose. None of them are outside of the reach and the workings of the Spirit of God. So what God wants us to do, 
is to do what Jesus did, to submit in the midst of our circumstances. One of the greatest pictures of that is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, fully aware of the way that he was going to die, fully aware, in fact, even working to accomplish his own death, Jesus looked on Thursday night to Friday's reality, to the reality of the cross. And with such intensity and fervency of spirit, he sweat through his brow, he emoted through his pores, drops of blood he prayed so intensely, Father, take this cup from me, if it's possible. But he said, yet, each time he prayed that, he said, yet not my will, Father, but yours be done. Submission. Teach your children that everything that comes into their lives is an opportunity to submit to the Lord and to grow. Number three, Jesus grew through service, so do we. Jesus himself said, referring to himself, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That the eternal God of heaven, by whom all things were created, through whom all things are sustained, for whom all things were created. That's direct statements from Colossians. That that God came down as a man to serve. And then fourth, Jesus grew through suffering. So will you, so will your children. Teach them that. It says of Jesus, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, don't misunderstand that. That doesn't mean he was disobedient in some ways and learned through suffering, through punishment, not to be disobedient. That's not what that text means. We know that's not what it means because Scripture is explicit in many places. Jesus knew no sin. Never did he sin. Never did he disobey. What the text means is that through suffering, Jesus learned what it meant to fully, perfectly obey the Father in all things. So the two things we've looked at so far related to this idea of worldview and raising up our children in that is that they're to live for the glory of God and what that means is they're to live like the Son of God. Let's take that a step further. Truth number three that is complementary and applicational to that is that they are to live with God's Spirit. They are to live with God's Spirit. And the Bible tells us how to do that. Listen. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those two verses right there, do you know who they describe, whose life they describe? They're a description of the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ lived fully the fruit of the Spirit. He lived a life, and this is the way that this text is written in the Greek, He lived the life of love. You see, the fruit of the Spirit is one thing, it's love, and then it has a lot of manifestations. That love has a lot of manifestations, and they are joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What does it mean to live for God's glory? It means to live like God's Son. And what does it mean to live like God's Son? How do you do that? You live with God's Spirit. And what does that look like? It means you live a life of love that is characterized by joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things the Spirit of God is working in the sons and daughters of God to bring from their lives. Two verses later, Paul goes on and tells them one way that will do that. If we live by the Spirit, this is verse 25 of Galatians 5, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. How do you live out the fruit of the Spirit? Or i.e., how do you live like God's Son? Or i.e., how do you live for the glory of God? Here's how you do it. You keep up with the Spirit. You see, He is seeking to build into and bring forth from your life those things. And so, what we're to do is to cooperate with Him, to keep in step with Him, to keep in cadence with Him, so that those things are continually growing in increasing measure as our life produces fruit, more fruit, and much fruit, all for the glory of God. So how do you keep up with the Spirit? How do you keep in step with the Spirit? Let me just give you at least six ways that you can do that, that you can teach to your children. Number one, to keep up with the Spirit, keep learning. Keep learning. John sixteen thirteen. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. Would you just let that verse paint a word picture for you? The Spirit of God wants to guide you into all the truth. Does that mean He wants to give you a cognitive understanding of every truth statement in the Word so that, man, you could just rattle them off your tongue? Is that what it means? No, it doesn't mean that. He wants to guide you into the truth. That means He wants to take you and lead you and bring you into the center of the truth so that that's where you are living. So that you're acting based upon the truth. You're speaking based upon the truth. You're desiring based upon the truth. 
You're planning based upon the truth. He wants to guide you into the truth. And what truth does He want to guide you into the Spirit? Well, He wants to guide you into 23% of God's truth, right? Is that right? How much? All. Jesus said it like this. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So, you and I have a lot of growing, a lot of learning to do. And what the Spirit is committed to doing is to guide us into all the truth and to use our lives as parents, as significant leaders over those around us to help them understand what it means to keep up with the Spirit and keep learning to come into the truth the Spirit is leading you to come into. Secondly, keep praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 states it very simply, short verse, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. I'm going to say that it's a safe assumption that all of us need growth right there. I know I do. Number three, keep serving. Keep serving. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, telling them how they're to be living and operating in the church. And it says, to each one is given meaning. Each one, every son and daughter of God. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. How do you keep up with the Spirit? Well, the Spirit lives within the sons and daughters of God, every one of them, and He has a way or ways in which He wants to manifest Himself through each of those lives. And so the way that we keep up with the Spirit is that we learn to let that manifestation of the Spirit come through our service. We're to use those gifts for the common good, to serve the body for the common good to build up, to edify, to encourage. So how do we keep up with the Spirit? We keep learning, we keep praying, we keep serving. Number four, we keep trusting. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. You may abound in hope. You know what hope does? Hope transcends. Not just by itself. It helps those who hope to transcend. Because what hope does is it takes whatever this life brings and it puts it into perspective so that whatever is around you does not overwhelm you and consume you, but you learn to see it in light of the eternity that's coming so that it becomes a little minuscule reality compared to the superabounding glory that is waiting for every son and daughter of God. 
And that enables you to trust in the midst of everything. The brighter your hope is, the stronger your walk is in the midst of the trials and the storms and the struggles of life. Keep learning, keep praying, keep serving, keep trusting as you keep up with the Spirit. And number five, keep witnessing. You see, the Spirit of God lives in you to make you a witness for the person of Jesus Christ. Now, please listen carefully to that. He doesn't just live in those who have the gift of evangelism to make them a witness for the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Acts 1.8, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and here's what He's going to do. He's going to give you the power to be my witnesses. The Spirit of God wants to use you and your kids as they become sons and daughters of God to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ. And then number six, How do you keep up with the Spirit? You keep filled. Ephesians 5.18 And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But, here's the command, be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek, the construction of that statement is this. Keep on being filled with the Spirit. We do that by not grieving the Spirit, by not hindering the Spirit, by not quenching the Spirit, but by keeping up with Him in what He is doing in our lives and learning more and more and day by day to surrender to Him. And as we do that, He'll keep pouring His power, His presence into our lives so that we are growing in increasing measure into the likeness of Christ and as we seek to teach our kids that, the Spirit will walk with us. We will actually be cooperating with Him as He uses us to lead our children in that way. Now, what's going to be formed in the life of a child? as we as parents or grandparents or leaders over those that God has placed under our care, what's going to be formed in the lives that we lead as we do those things? I'm just going to give it to you in one word and then explain that a little bit. What's going to be formed in them are convictions to live by. When they adopt deeply embrace this biblical worldview, what's going to be formed in them is convictions to live by. And I use the word convictions intentionally. I could have said beliefs to live by, and that's a true statement, but that word has lost some of its force and power in our vernacular. Because we live by beliefs as long as they're pretty convenient But conviction is something that you'll die for. And what we need to be doing with those that we lead is helping them develop convictions that are worth dying for.
So what I want to do is I finish this message up in the next couple of minutes is I'm going to give you some key points, key truth statements of a biblical worldview. This is not at all intended to be an exhaustive list, but it is intended to give you some very key, paramount, highlight truths that I'm absolutely convinced God wants true of you, but He wants you as a father or as a mother, as a leader over those around you to be seeking to get these truths deeply planted in their hearts and in their minds. And I'm suggesting that you do two things with these. You pour and you pray. You pour and you pray. You pour and you pray. Here's what I mean by that. First of all, you pour. You pour these truths into their lives, into their minds, into their hearts. And you keep doing that. And you keep doing that. And then number two, you pray. As you pour, you pray. You pray that the truth would take root, get grounded that the convictions will rise up around these truths as you continually, relentlessly put them into the lives of your children so that they will one day own them deep as deep convictions of their own that guide their day-to-day walk, actions, talk, decisions, desires. So let me just give them quickly. Now, you're not going to be able to write these down because I'm going to give them too fast, but here's what I'll do. If you would like the list, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to just give a lot of statements under some different categories, and if you want the list, you just email the church office or call the church office, give them your email address, and I will email you the list and a scripture, at least one scripture backing for each item, maybe multiple. And what you can do with this list is keep it somewhere that you can refer to it as you think about developing a biblical worldview in the lives of those that you influence, primarily your kids, your grandkids. Keep it in front of you. Review it enough to where you've got it locked in your own mind and heart so that when a life situation arises, you've got it right there and you can put that truth in that applies perfectly to the circumstances as they come up. So first of all, here's a set of convictions. We need to understand as humans that we are not the center of the universe. Your kids need to know that. It's the little sinful human heart that wants to think that it is true in all of us. We are not the center of the universe. Number two, we're not our own Savior. Your kids need to know that. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Your kids need to know that they're not the answer. They're actually a part of the problem. Kind of wrap that all up. What our kids need to know is that we are not basically good without Christ. We're basically bad. 
That's not meant to be defeating, but you have to understand the problem. Your kids have to understand the problem in order to embrace a biblical worldview because the worldview that's being shoved down their throats and into their minds, seeking to squeeze them into its mold day in and day out, out in the world, is a humanistic philosophy that is teaching them they are basically good and what they need to do is get more information and they will eventually, through collective collective effort solve the problems of the world. That just takes Jesus, the Savior, out of the equation. What we need to understand, what your kids need to understand, is that they're depraved. Without Christ prior to salvation, that we are depraved rebels and enemies of God. What do your kids need to understand about God the Father? Let me just give you a few items. He's just. He's just. He rules in justice. That means in perfect fairness. He always does what is right. I don't have time to unpack this statement, but this is a true Biblical statement, a profound biblical truth. The cross of Jesus Christ is the great proof that God is just. Secondly, they need to understand that God is love. And as such, He loves us. Not because of what we do, that's who He is. God is love. And you know what? The cross of Jesus Christ is the greatest demonstration of the proof of the love of God. Your kids need to know that. Your kids need to know about God the Father that He is holy. He rules the universe with a code of perfect righteousness because He's holy. They need to know that God will be glorified fully and forever. It's going to happen. That's what everything in this universe is moving toward, the glory of the Father. They need to know that. You see, those statements answer some of the very biggest questions of life. That's what the key tenets of a worldview will do for your children. It'll answer their life's biggest questions. It'll weather, help them weather the life's biggest storms and heal life's deepest hurts and defeat life's greatest enemies. They need these truths. What do they need to know about God the Son? Here's a few things kind of overall statement that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. Equal with the Father and has always been there with the Father. One without beginning and without end. Alpha and Omega. Here's some subsidiary truths to that. That Jesus Christ, they need to know this, that Jesus Christ left heaven and came to earth. 
He didn't begin in the womb of Mary. He left heaven as the co-equal, co-eternal, second member of the Trinity, and He came to earth. And what did He do here? He lived a perfect life. And then He perfectly revealed the Father. And He died a substitutionary death, fully paying sin's penalty. And then He rose victoriously, precisely as He said that He would. Jesus Christ left heaven, came to earth, and did that. They need to know that. Secondly, they need to know that Jesus Christ left earth and went back to heaven. where He reigns exalted over the universe and from where He offers free forgiveness to all who trust Him and He gives power to His followers to live a life of victory from His throne in heaven. And where He is continually interceding for all of the sons and the daughters of God to His Father without end while we live the struggle of this life, we have God the Son praying to God the Father, the perfect, obedient Son who sacrificed His life for us, praying to the perfect, loving, all-powerful Father. Do you think those prayers are going to be answered? They are. So they need to know Jesus left heaven and came to earth and what he did. They need to know that Jesus left earth and went back to heaven and what he's doing. And then they need to know that Jesus will return to earth again in the future. They need to know that. And that when he returns, he's going to overthrow Satan and his demons and sentence them to an inescapable eternal torment. They need to know that when Jesus returns, He comes as the judge of all. All mankind. And those that have rejected Him, He will give them their choice to be separated from His eternal presence in hell forever. And those who accepted Him He will usher them into His eternal glory and in effect bring heaven right down here to earth and create a new heaven and a new earth. They need to know that. Puts this life in perspective. A couple of things they need to know about God the Holy Spirit. They need to know that He lives in every single believer. That He comes to dwell in every single believer at the moment of salvation to remain there as a guarantee of what is to come. They need to know that the Spirit of God is continually working in every believer to develop them into the likeness of Jesus Christ and that He uses the Word of God to make them like the Son of God for the glory of the Father. They need to know that the Spirit 
makes possible and appropriates all of the riches of Christ into the life of the believer as the believer submits to Him. And they need to know that the Spirit offers the full resurrection power of Jesus Christ in this life right here, right now to the sons and daughters of God if we will access what He offers. They need to know about Satan. They need to know that he's real, a literal being, a malevolent being bent on destruction of humans created in the image of God because he hates God. They need to know that he is stronger than them by themselves, that there is no human that is a match by himself for the crafty great enemy of their soul. They need to know that he is aggressive and relentless in his pursuit to tempt them and to plant seeds of doubt in them. But they also need to have the conviction related to Satan that the devil's days are numbered, that the devil's defeat is already accomplished and that his eternal doom is guaranteed. So they need not fear him. What do they need to know about the Word of God? Our children need to know that the Bible is the truth, God's fairy truth. That there is no book on the planet like this book and there never will be another book like this book. That this is the very living Word of God and that book is closed, meaning... Nobody's going to add to it. It is complete. And as the Word of God, it is the authority for life and practice right here. They need to know that the Bible is reliable. That means it has and continues to stand up against all of the attacks of the school of higher criticism trying to discredit it and prove it inaccurate, it will always stand the test because it was written by a God who is eternal and all-knowing so that He, when He inspired the writers, some 40 writers over 1,500 years to put down what they put down, He did so with omniscient knowledge of every moment, of every circumstance, throughout all of time, so that it is both timely and timeless. They need to know that about the Word of God. And they need to know that the Word of God is not only God's truth and it's reliable, but it's relevant. It works right here, right now, today, and will work for them for the rest of their life. They need to know that. So, you want that list. I mean, we could put so many 
additional things on there. Do you want that list? You email me or call the church office. I'll send you that list and the scripture references to back it up so that you can use those to help develop a Christian worldview in the lives of your children and those that you influence. So I'm just advocating as I finish this series that we become and remain consistent in growing our children in an understanding of the great central truths that they need so desperately in their life so that within their hearts and minds those convictions are grounded and embraced to such a degree that they will be willing to die for them but ultimately day by day to live them out. Would you please stand? Father, I just, we talked a little too long here. I commit it to you. I ask that you would take this truth and that you would plant it deeply within our hearts, not condemnation from the enemy if we've fallen short or even grossly fallen short of that, but conviction that spurs us to action so that you can take and redeem the time remaining for your purposes. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.